This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Originally from New York City, our next guest is a 63-year-old gay cis male who identifies as a leather daddy bear. He's been in the leather community for over 40 years and holds the title of Mr. L.A. Leather Bear 2015. Get ready for some more Leather Talk. Well, hello, everyone. This is Brandon, your Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. And today we have Sir Frank. Hi, Sir Frank. Hello there. How's everyone? Pretty good. Pretty good. Sir Frank, for those of us who might not be familiar with you, would you mind just giving us a little snapshot of who you are? Sure. Well, my name is Frank Cavallo. I'm a 63-year-old leather daddy bear. Uh, My title is Sir Frank. But I also have another title is Mr. L.A. Leather Bear 2015. Um, retired. I identify myself as a male. He. Uh, my sexual orientation, versatile top, more top and daddy in other areas. I've been in this leather community, oh God, probably longer than you have been born, uh, <laughs> over 40 years. Actually, 41 years, to be precise. Originally from New York City, moved out here in 1982 and went right into the community step by step, slowly. All right. Awesome. That gives us a little idea of who you are, Frank. And right now you currently reside in the Los Angeles area. Is that right. right. I live in the Sherman Oaks area with my husband of 23 years. Well, congrats. That's Thanks. almost as old as me. I told just you kidding. I've been in the community longer than you, Eric. Okay, you're now married longer than I'm just you. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, Sir Frank, the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast is because we've kind of crossed paths, you know, over the last several years, just seeing each other at the Bullet and everything. And you actually have a, a night at the Bullet. Can you talk about that before we get started with you? Right. Well, I have a couple of nights we do at the Bullet. This February 5th, we're going to be doing Pleasure and Pain. And basically, that is the place where we have fetishes. We have bondage, hot wax, needle play, well, during, before COVID, uh, electrodes, flogging, paddling. And basically, we started that in my title year in 2015. And the reason we did it was people... You might be interested in it, and you might meet this guy and go home with this guy, and he might trigger off everything possible, but you went home. This way, it's a safe place, and you don't have to do it. You can do it, um, and you are safe at it because we're not going to tie you up. And and when you say, let me go, we're not going to say, no, we're not letting you go. So that was the main reason we did that event. 
Then we do host a couple others. One of the ones that is dear to myself and my boy Scott, business partner, was um, Bears in Toyland, where in the past we would raise money for Mama Sandy Reinhardt. And basically it's for teenagers who have HIV. We would buy them gift cards. And because all the little babies and kids get wonderful gifts, but they forget about the teenagers. So that was a goal that we started. And then we do s'mores and whores. Um, Wait, what is s'mores and whores? <laughs> think about it when you make a s'more. So okay. we give everyone a bag of um, graham cracker, marshmallows, a chocolate bar, and you get to, and we have candles on the tables, and you get to light it and make the s'more. And well, whore sounds, you know, rhymes with s'more, <laughs> so you can be what you want to be there. It's Maybe melt it and put it on someone's chest. Oh, okay. You like that? <laughs> Actually, I had the idea of having like a a sexy food competition where mm-hmm. like they're just you you don't know what kind of food you're gonna get right but you get up on stage and who you're <laughs> the person who wins like i don't know gift card or something but they have to be like eat the food the sexiest so it could be like a carrot right <laughs> licking the carrot and... oh, give me a cucumber <laughs> appeal it appeal it oh yeah or peel it all slowly yeah. <laughs> that's great and i have to say your pleasure paid night was the first time I was ever flogged. I can't remember who it was that flogged me. Um, he was an Bobby older man. Yeah, that's his name. Yes. Okay. I've been searching for years. So that's exactly who it was. He was great because I was actually there with a girlfriend of mine who's straight. And um, we would hang out all the time when we went there. And she's like, ooh, I'm kind of interested in getting flogged. That's really hot. And I was, you know me, I'm just like down for anything. So I was like, well, you know what? If you get flogged, I'll get flogged. And sure sure enough, she's the one that got up there first. Like, she called my bluff. I was like, oh, shit, now I have to do this. Mm-hmm. And he was doing not just flogging, in, but he had, like, um, he oh, did, like, some electro. Wand? Yeah, a magic, a magic wand. wand. Yeah. Electro. Electro. And she loved that. So he did some of that to me. Still to this day, that is the most memorable flogging experience. I know it wasn't the most, like, intense that I've had since then, but psychologically that was like the most memorable experience it's open the door mm-hmm. in a safe environment exactly and i think that's the key thing uh because i have a story too with, with hot wax um i was doing hot wax and this guy and his girlfriend a straight well i guess it was a straight couple yeah and he wanted to try it and he tried it and then she said oh let me try it and she tried it and they, we have silent auction, and uh-huh. we had a candle basket. And he came right out to me, and we weren't doing it at that time, that you buy them right out. He said, I'll buy you. I'll give you $50 for your basket because I want to go home, oh. and we want to oh. do it on each other. Oh and I started God. laughing about that, and I went, sold. And he comes to all the events. He's not with her anymore. I guess he probably burned her. <laughs> but he comes to all the events and he just says you were the first one who got me into this kink i never knew i would be in any kind of fetish yeah and there's something so powerful about that like um when you can help unlock the door of possibility to somebody for their life like they learn so much about themselves yeah. right 
Wait, do you have a phone call? Are you on the phone yeah, with no, your doctor? No, no, I, I just... Did you I, get your I, STD I, results? What? Are you getting your STD results? Yeah, this negative. Sorry, you didn't give me anything. <laughs> oh, don't come to me. I come right back. You'll come right back, you guys. Okay. Uh, should I call your husband and tell him what a slut you are? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, but if he was li- only listening to the show. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll bounce back to events and stuff like that. Right. Let's talk about you. So you do you identify as gay? Yes. Okay. So uh, when did you find out that you were gay? Well, my past history was I studied to be a priest. Okay. Like a Catholic priest? A Catholic priest. Okay. And when I was in the seminary, I lived with all men. And, you know, and it was very interesting. I was on a scholarship basic thing. And, you know, I've, I've, priest in charge would tell us, you know, Mr. So-and-so is, you know, is paying your tuition or helping you, and his wife's out of town. Do you want to come go there for lunch? And it was never really said to do anything, um, but it was. And I always had a feeling I was gay. I mean, I did go out with a female when I was younger, before I, oh, after I entered the priesthood, but that didn't make any sense to me. So I always knew I was gay. My first maybe sexual experience was probably when I went home for a weekend and I went to a pawn shop in Times Square. <laughs> I saw a movie. And in the back of the movie, they had a play area. And I remember meeting this guy and we were in the back playing and something about him looked very familiar. Huh. And I realized he was my high school counselor. No way. And when he saw me, he jumped out. And he actually went back to school the following week and resigned because he thought I would say something. No way. So I guess maybe early high school um, accountants, I, you know, back then it was like I would say, oh, I would suck someone off didn't really know the difference of top and bottom. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember being, you know, my first sexual experience with a partner I had, but um, it wasn't really, um, no, I didn't identify top, bottom, universal you know, back then. It was just having fun. So let me try to create a timeline here. So when you first discover you're gay, you're, you're like in your early teens. Yeah, I, I, I entered the seminary at 12 years old. Okay, so, I mean, does that happen these days anymore? No. Okay. No, these days, I mean, back then I entered a religious order and they accepted students in high school. And okay. And you started your training in high school all the way up. So that was basically what was my whole concept of it. So... Can I ask you what your, um, like, religious, spiritual life is right now? I am Catholic, Roman Catholic. Um, I no longer practice by going to church um, or celebrate the way I used to. And that's from another terrible, long story of betrayal. And... um, 
So, I mean, we celebrate Christmas like everyone else. Uh, yeah. Do I celebrate it as the birth of Christ? No. Uh, occasionally when I decorate, I might put a nativity scene up, but my nativity scene is little bear statues. Mm. So, okay. I mean, it's not the traditional Mary, Joseph, and all that. So, I don't, you know, I'm a Catholic. That's all I'd say. Practicing, no. Okay. Now, when you when you say you're Catholic, is it sort of like, because, like, this is a part of who you are because you grow up that way? Or, like, do you believe I grew, in spiritually? I grew up that way. I was raised Catholic. I entered the religious life as a Catholic. I left the religious life as a Catholic. I worked in a Catholic school for 32 years. Mm -hmm. So I always kept my faith until 2012 when something happened at my job. I was betrayed. And that made me start feeling the church disappointed me. But then I had the opportunity to meet Pope Francis. And he said to me, don't be mad at the church. Be mad at the men of the church. Wow. Because that's who did it to you, not the church, not your faith. So, you know, uh, my husband and myself, we say prayers every night when we go to bed. Mm -hmm. We say prayers when we wake up. Uh, It's just that's because my husband's an ex-priest. Oh, wow. So that's just a tradition that we had. We say prayers at night, and when we wake up, he says his prayers, and I say a little one. But I wouldn't say, oh, I'm a religious fanatic that I have to go to church on Sunday, because I don't believe in that. I never believed in that. Hmm. I never believed in confession. Okay. And my, my reason for confession and not believing is If I did something wrong and I know it's wrong, why do I have to tell a third person, a second, another person, I know God knows I did it wrong and I'm sorry. Right. I don't need a priest who's a psychiatrist somewhat to tell me, go say 12 Hail Mary, so don't ever do that again. Okay, so this... This interview already has taken a little bit of a different turn than I thought it would, but I love it, and we're going to okay. lean into it. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, yeah. But it, feel free to stop me at any time because I know a lot of this stuff is is personal. Um, okay, so that's really interesting because I, I would say that you're probably one of the fewer people that have come on the show that identify as Catholic. I grew up Catholic. I consider myself Catholic, not practicing, like going right. to church and everything as well. Because it was such a, and still is like a part of like the culture of who I am and how I process things and think about things and believe in things and my spirituality and everything like that. I would just say that I myself has like have evolved and my understanding and approach and perspective on a lot of those things have changed. Now, um, can we talk about, and we don't have to get all theological or anything like that, but. Um, like I've been dealing recently with family coming out and, uh, like I kind of ripped the bandaid off, Frank, because I announced on Facebook to like an unknowing audience. Oh, I'm married by the way to a man. Mm -hmm. Um, so I got a little bit of pushback, some drama 
from family members saying that like, oh, not of God, blah, 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 blah you're going to hell, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. How, like growing up gay in the seminary, Catholic, that being a huge part of life, was there ever, like, did you ever have to figure out how being gay and Catholic and spiritual worked for you? Like, was there ever a, a you know what I mean? Like, were the puzzle no, you pieces? you know what? Um, when I was teaching in a Catholic school, I left my personal life separate, even though there's a bar in Silver Lake. <laughs> and my school was like seven blocks away from this bar. Oh, interesting. And my secretary lived behind the bar. So when I did go to this bar, I in full leather, it was always like, oh, God, I hope someone doesn't see me. Uh-huh. And then I did go and I met someone in the bar who was in the church of the same school I was at. And he looked at me and I looked at him. He was ready to leave. And I said, don't leave. We both know we're here. Yeah. So, yeah. Um you know, coming out to my family is different than that, but um, I knew I was gay. When I was studying to be a priest, I knew I was gay. When I left the priesthood, I had to meet with a advisor for two years because they wanted me to pay back some money. I knew, you know, I went to the advisor. They I think I mentioned the story to you. I don't know if you want me to say the story about the advisor. Yeah, it's yeah, it's up to you. If I have to, I'll I'll make cuts. Yeah. But well, yeah. let's put it this way: when I left the priesthood, I had to go meet the bishop, and the secretary brought me into the bishop's office, and he went, "Your Eminence, this is Father Paul." And back then, that would have been my name. I changed my name and the eminence turned around, looked at me. I looked at him. He told his secretary to leave and he said, hello, sir. How you doing? Because I was his sir. And the bishop did not know that I was a priest and I didn't know he was a bishop. We met at a bar and we played and I dominated him. Wow. So that was interesting. So, yeah, you know. Some of my family, when, like when you mentioned, you just mentioned about getting married. Um, because I've been out so many years, um, when we did get married, it was like, yeah. I had some people who were like, oh, you're getting married. Isn't that like, can't you just live with him? Um, and all that. And, you know, my mother oh, came out, my mother got me out of the closet. How was that? It was a summer vacation. I was kind of depressed. And my mother came into my bedroom, which was this room (laughs) at that time. And um, she said, what's wrong with you? You get out of this. My father was already deceased. It was me and my mom. And she said, is it because you're gay that you're so upset? I went, what do you mean gay? She says, I knew you were gay when you went into the priesthood. That's why I didn't want you to go to the priesthood. (gasps) No way. No, seriously. And then for that year, my birthday, because it happened in the summer, my birthday was in November. And my mom said, what do you want for your birthday? And I said, why don't you just give me some money and I could go buy what I want? And she said, no, 
I want to buy something. I want to come with you. So on Santa Monica Boulevard, there was a right next to the person chest, there was an old, old secondhand store that had beautiful leather stuff. And my mom came with me, and it was an old Russian man. I think it was called Old Time something, the old time store. And my I said to the guy, I'm looking for restraints. And my mother said, I'm going to buy him whatever he wants. So let give him what he wants. So he gave me a pair of foot restraints and hand restraints. And then also a little leather collar. And my mother said, what's that for? I said, don't worry, mom. She said, show me. And I went, mom, you don't need to see it. Wait a second. How old are you at this point? <laughs> I was 30. Oh, okay. You're 30. I'm, I'm imagining like 17-year-old. No, no, prank. I was 30. <laughs> And so my mother said, well, let me see, put it on me. So I put them on her and I clipped them. And she said, get those fucking things off now. (gasps) And she said, here's the money. I'm going in my car. I'll go in the car and wait for you. And the guy started laughing. And I said, you wanted to see them. You wanted to have them on. You wanted to see what they were all about. Oh, my God. And we laughed about it. So your mom just figured out you're kinky because you took her to a store so yeah. you can buy kink stuff. Well, she wanted to know what I wanted, and I was going to go buy it anyhow, but I didn't want her to know. So it's but her my fault. Mother was a stubborn, <laughs> my mother was a very stubborn Italian, so when she said something, she wanted to be part of it. That's hilarious. I mean, like, not. <laughs> it's like looking, I guess, looking back, it's kind of hilarious that like oh, yeah. it had ended up that way. So did she not know that you were like into leathery no. stuff like that until that no. point? No. Okay. I think that might have started the real part of me with the leather more. I mean, I always had a leather jacket, always had boots, had gloves, but never really had pants and vests and harness and things like that. Yeah, I have a whole closet in this room full of leather. Yeah, yeah. I think I have a half a closet, so I'm mm-hmm. working. I'm working. I'm working uh, on it, too. I'm working <laughs> on another one. Although my husband tells me you've killed enough cows. Don't kill You've killed anymore. enough cows, yeah. I love when they say full cow. I, I was like, what's full cow mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, it means you're from head to toe leather, leather yeah. pants, leather boots. <laughs> yeah. So uh, let's touch on a couple things before we, because I do want to ask you how you initially got into leather from here, but I do also want to know, like, whose decision was it to go to the seminary? Mine. Yours, and why? Um, I was always very religious. You know, growing up, went to Catholic school, went to Mass, everything, became an altar boy. Later on in life, I did tell a, a priest I was so pissed at them because no one molested me as a child and hit my friend who was a priest said, yeah, how many did you molest? I said, none. But um, I've always wanted to be a priest. I used to set up little altars in my bedroom and, you know, and act like a priest. And mm-hmm. I went to a seminary in Staten Island. And the first day I walked in, I said, my room is going to be there. And they all looked at me like saying, how do you know that? I said, that's my room. And they went, you're right. That is your room. So I knew I didn't like the bullshit the priesthood did. You know, I had a friend who was celebrating. Well, he was 76 years old. He was a priest. And our rector said to him, 
or you could go home and live with your family. And he said, I'm here in my family. I've been here over 50 years. What, what family do you want me to go home to? And that was a decision to make me leave. Wow. Because I said to myself, he's been there over 50-something years. And now they're telling him to go home. They don't want to bother with him anymore because he's old. Is that going to happen to me? Yeah. Are you just going to be used up and thrown off and, to you the know, side? And I went to him when I made my decision saying, I'm going to be leaving. And he said, why? And he said, is it because of me? I said, not in, not directly, but I didn't like what they said to you and did to you. Huh. You know, we used you now get the hell out. And I said, I don't want that. I could be religious. I could practice my religion. I don't need the black outfit. Yeah. And Did that's you... why I went right to a Catholic school to teach and became a Catholic school principal. So did you feel like it was your destiny to somehow have leadership or be yeah. like a mentor in some way? Yeah, I, I believe that. Yeah. I was a teacher for 20-something years, and I was a principal for 10. Mm -hmm. uh, I was always a leadership, even as a teacher. Uh, I worked in South Central. I was the only white person in the whole entire school. Mm -hmm. They would call me the cream of the Oreo cookie. Um, I led different groups. I was a vice principal for a few years. So I was always part of a leadership. And I think that led into the leather world. Now, I mean, to be a principal, you have to have like a very high degree, don't you? I have I have an education, a BA degree, an MA. Okay. So how was it bit then being like a principal, vice principal of a Catholic school as a gay man? Well, you had to hide it. Although it was very funny when I became principal, when we had principals meetings, I could point to all the lesbians, <laughs> all the ex-nuns who are lesbians, and all uh -huh. the guys who are gay um, or heterosexual who likes to play with a man was mm -hmm. one of the principals I played with. Uh, you know, definitely married to his wife, five kids, but we went to a meeting and we played in Stephen. I thought we had two beds. It was one bed. Yeah. So he knew I was, and I had a feeling he was. So, huh. you know, it was a kept secret. You don't talk about it. So, I mean, what I'm getting from you is that there's a lot more people in our LGBT community, like, especially in the Catholic realm, than mm -hmm. other people might think. I mean, what do you say to people who are like, oh, if you're Catholic, you can't be gay? I tell them you can't. Being Catholic is just a fate. It doesn't, you know, and even though the church says you can't be, you can't have, you, the church accepts homosexuals. They do not accept the act of homosexual. Okay, so the sex so you can act. be gay, right. You can be gay, but don't tell us about the sex. And then you also have to remember the church is a group of men. Mm -hmm. they, I'm not saying all of them are, 
but there's a good number of them who are. Yeah. I mean, I know of a person firsthand, my husband, his whole entire class was gay. And when he left the priesthood, they all said to him, why the hell are you leaving? You have a perfect life now. Still live, still be gay. But he didn't want to have to play that game. Mm-hmm. And it is a game. You're playing the game. You know, and the, uh, what would you say to a young person who says you can't be Catholic and be gay? I would say you can. Excuse me. They also have Dignity, which is a gay a Catholic organization. I'm not crazy about it. But they do have mass and all that. It's, you know, but it's once again, you can be gay, but don't have the sex. So, I mean, we can go into that. And yeah. when, when you, um, do you think that people can still be called to the priesthood, go through with it, be gay, and still take that vow of celibacy and have like a full, life without ever being I would say there's gay. some men who are gay who goes into the priesthood and keep the vow of celibacy. Um, you find a lot of priests who left the Catholic Church who go into maybe the Episcopalian Church okay. because they could be gay and still be a minister. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, I know a few guys who are gay and never acted out on it. You you could tell when they're when you're with them because they're very flamboyant. Uh-huh. I mean, I used to laugh. There was a priest I knew who, when he would celebrate the mass, he would like swish across the altar, and he was always fixing his vestment to make it look so perfect. I mean, when he raised <laughs> his hands, they had to be perfectly. Made, you know, and we, I would go, oh, what a queen he is. But okay, let everyone think he's straight. He's just a happy <laughs> man. You know, I almost went to the seminary after high school. Um, and my logic was, at the time, I know I'm gay for myself. I'm not going to come out, but I know in my heart that right. I'm gay. God knows at this mm-hmm. point, because God knows everything. And I thought, well, if I can't act out, gay you know the sexual acts of being gay and i can't get married and all this stuff i i've always been called i felt like i was called to like a life of service in right. some way then uh which is interesting because what you said earlier it, that kind of plays into my leather lifestyle as well but <laughs> we'll get back to that but my thought was well the best thing for me to do then is go to the priesthood because it's just natural like i can live out like my life's calling without <laughs> having to commit all this you know sin right. or whatever i mean since then growing and changing and under my understanding of who god is and and where our relationship is and what being gay means for me and my life like all of that has changed and at some point i felt like well either i'm going to be out and gay and be a priest and celibacy is my calling or I'm not going to do like, I'm not going to lie to myself. I'm not going to lie right. to people about who I am. Um, Cause I'm not going to live in fear. And that, that's not what God has called me to do is mm-hmm. to live in fear. He, I'm a whole person. And like, at some point I realized like my relationship with God and my spirituality and all of that hit a threshold because I was not 
able to accept myself fully. You know what I mean? And I think that there may be priests out there who can accept themselves fully and really delve into the priesthood and like that's their true calling and like kudos. Um, But I just don't think that's everyone. No, it's not everyone. I would say it's a very small percentage. Uh, I mean, I hate to say, you know, and I don't want to say priests, you know, they go after kids. Mm -hmm. You know, even though there's people who say they do and they have, but a lot of priests do go after adults. Yeah. It's not, you know, because there was a survey about how many child um, molestations. And it was funny. It was lay people in the in the Catholic Church that a large number were gay men or ladies who had sex with their kids. Wow. It wasn't necessarily the priests. I mean, I'm not saying they're not. Of course they are. Right. I mean, that's a huge stereotype. Like the first thing you think of. When someone says right. priest, they think, oh, there's a pedophile there, right. uh, which I've like never understood. I mean, I get it because it's happened, but it doesn't mean everybody is doing that. Yeah, I so. mean, I would never want to, I hate to say, I, I don't hate to say, I would never want to play with a kid. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't want to, I mean, people call me daddy, but those people are 50, 30. 70, <laughs> like, old, yeah. but I don't want to be a daddy to a 12 year old. Yeah, I don't want an actual daddy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, interesting, interesting. Uh, okay, so let's talk a little bit about your your leather lifestyle and how you got into it. Before we get there, for those who are listening for maybe the first time and hearing all of these terms like daddy, sir, dom, sub, can we just kind of lay out um, your relationship with your partners, what it means to be a sir, and just to kind of give a little info for those individuals? Okay, well... I'm a sir and a daddy, but to my partner, we're nothing. My partner is not into the leather lifestyle. Okay. He was a hardcore biker, but no, uh, it's always funny because he'll say, "Leave that leather, leave that leather shit outside," or uh, <laughs> "Go talk to your boys. Don't talk to me that way." <laughs> um, uh, a daddy is a person who's caring and loving who, for some people, want that daddy-son relationship, maybe because they didn't have it growing up, mm-hmm. and they want that male figure to be part of it. Uh, leather, as a sir, it's, it could be like a dad, too, but he's a little bit more of, you do it my way, you do it this way. Mm, authoritative. You know, dad might be flexible a little bit, uh, a sir might not be okay. Although I can be as a sir, and I'm, you know, and there's a master who you're a slave. You're nothing. You're it, mm-hmm. and you do whatever I tell you to do. If I told you to, you know, strangle yourself for my enjoyment, you're going to do that. Mm-hmm. And you really, and as a master, you give up all your rights. At least as a, a boy. Even though for some people say they don't have any rights, I believe a boy has rights because if a boy is happy, he's going to make his sir happy. Right. Okay. So yeah. all of this is it's a dynamic in which like two people make an agreement to right. to to fulfill a certain role. Um, so like being a daddy doesn't mean that the other person even has to be younger. It's just fulfilling that role right. of a of a daddy I mean, figure. I know someone who's seventy four years old who calls me daddy. 
I'm only mm-hmm. 63. Uh, there's definitely a different age difference that should be reversed. <laughs> but no, yeah. I mean, it, you, it could be anyone who just wants, who wants that relationship, who wants that person to be loving, caring, and, you know, go with the flow. And so living with a, a partner who is not in the leather lifestyle, what is that dynamic like? It's great. I mean, we we both love each other. Um, he doesn't stop me. Mm-hmm. He'll tell me, go out, have fun. Although every now and then he says, I would love to be a fly in the bullet bar. <laughs> so I could see the great big daddy, Sir Frank, with all his little people coming to him and saying, hello, sir. And then I love to fly in that person's ear and say, let him watch a, a, a heartbroken movie. He'll be crying like a little bitch. <laughs> and that's our little joke. He'll turn around and tell, oh, the big daddy, sir, let's watch this movie and see you cry. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah, my partner's not in the leather lifestyle either, but he lets me be me. And that's, I think, what I appreciate about, appreciate about him the most. Like, there's very few people, I think, in, uh, like a lot of people's lives who really accept and love them for who they are. That's how I knew he was like the one, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe my husband, I met him at the bullet bar. Oh, really? And we, uh, we have a very strange how we met. I don't know if you want to go into this today. Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. Well, I met my husband two months after his longtime partner died at the bullet bar. His, the people at his job said, Harry, you need to go out. You need to go out. You need to meet people. So he went to the bullet bar. And I was going to the bullet bar to meet the bartender that we've been talking on the phone. And when I got to the bullet bar, the bartender was not what I thought he was. And we had no interest. Okay. You know where the mirrors are inside the bar? By the side door? He -hmm. was sitting there. Your husband now was sitting there. He was sitting there. And I looked at him. He looked at me. And I kept saying, what is he? And I, so finally I went up to him and said, hello. And he went, hello. And uh, we played a guessing game. Hi, my name is Frank. I'm Harry. Uh, I work in South Central. I work in South Central. I, I'm a social worker. I'm a teacher. His job was two blocks away from my school. No way. And he went, I'm an ex-priest. I'm an ex-seminary priest. Then he went, my partner just died. He was at St. Joseph's Hospital for six months on floor number two. And I said, my mother was in St. Joseph's Hospital for six months on door number two. I mean, floor number two. His number, his, his partner was next door to my mother. Oh, my God. We never met each other in the hospital. Oh, he I'm said, getting chills. Have, he said, you must have saw me in the stairway smoking. I said, I never saw you until I met him at the bar. It's like the universe was pulling strings to bring oh, yeah, you two together. Oh, yeah, it went into further. Um, he's from back east. He's from Massachusetts. I'm from New York. He's a diabetic. I'm a diabetic. You know? Wow. The only difference is our race. He's mulatto and I'm white. <laughs> wow. He's seven inches cut. You're seven inches cut. Like, right. no, no, it's, no. <laughs> no, it's like really funny. You know, wow. he was a hardcore biker and I was into starting into, I was into leather. I had leather. 
So it was just really interesting. He rode a motorcycle. I got on the motorcycle the first time and I thought I was going to die. <laughs> we went to an all leather event. There was a big, big block party in Pasadena. And he said, we're going to ride the bike. And we were all dressed in leather, both of us. And I had a death grip on the bike. And when we finally got off the freeway, every time he had to make a turn, I got off the bike. He made the turn and I got back on the oh. bike. Oh, that's so sweet. Yeah, he said the hardcore leather man can't ride a bike. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been on a motorcycle, by the way, so you that'll will. be interesting you to will. me. You will be. I know, come Mar- or March. March. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Okay, so let's talk about how did you first get into leather then? Like I said, I always liked the smell. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it it was just something different i remember the first time i got a leather jacket i slept into my jacket okay and i shot my load in my jacket it was just something i don't know why but it was just something i wanted and then i started going to different leather um events gauntlet met a couple of leather men and they were you know they were okay they didn't really accept me and that was something later on that i figured out why but um so i started to wear some leather and i remember going to the old fault line and there was this hot looking man all in leather and all i kept saying was i want him so bad and i knew he was a dominant top i could tell i just well no i thought he was a dominant top and i remember my buddy who i was with I said to him, I want to buy him a drink. And the bartender at the fourth line I knew quite well. So he he gave the guy a drink and the bartender said, oh, this is from this guy. And I had on jeans and a flannel shirt. The guy looked at me and said, no, thank you, and poured the drink out. No way. <clears throat> My friend went up to him and said, he really thinks you're hot. And he walked away. So two weeks after that, I came to the bar in full leather. Okay, so we're stepping up our game. He was there. Uh huh. He looked at me and was like a fly on shit, wouldn't leave me alone. And I walked away. He would follow me and he goes, Can I buy you a drink? I said, No. And then he went to the bartender and said, I'd like to buy him a drink. And the bartender started laughing. No way. You really <laughs> want to buy him a drink? Oh, you want to buy Sir Frank a drink? He went, Yeah, thank you for letting me know his name. So the bartender brought the drink over, and I said to the bartender, can I tell you his name? Yeah, I'll cut it out if I have to. Yeah, tell you. Oscar said, oh, this is from him over there. I went, you know what to do with it, and he poured the drink out. (gasps) Oh, my gosh, the shade. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So then he said to me, then finally he got up enough nerve and said, sir, I do whatever you want. And I said, okay. He said, you want to come home with me? I said, you know, give me your address and your telephone number. And you go home, you get ready, <coughs> and I'll come over. I'll call you up. So I made him wait for two hours. Oh, my gosh. And I had to drive my friend home, so that's why. But I, mean, <laughs> I was going to say, you're a, bit, you're a little sadist. Okay. <laughs> but then I, um, I called him up and said, um, what kind of house? He told me where he lived. I said, nice. And I said, um, what kind of front door do you have? He says, oh, it's, I, he said, the floor. I said, oh, it's, um, he's a tile. I said, good, I want the door open when you see my headlights, and I want you kneeling down on the floor on tile, naked. 
So I pulled up. I shut my lights off. The door opened up. He was kneeling, walked in, went, hello, sir. I smacked him in his face and said, you take me out for dinner tomorrow, and I'll tell you why, and I left. Oh, my God. So the next day, we went out for dinner. But let me just tell you, as a sub, he was rock hard as soon as you closed that door and left. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So the next day we went to dinner, and I said to him, you know, two weeks ago, I would have been your bitch. But you turned around and walked away from me. You bought the drink I bought you. You spilled out. Anyway, was that you? I see you in jeans and flannel shirt. Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I'm so sorry. <coughs> and I said, and I had to do the same punishment to you. Now, he became my slave. Oh, wow. But it was a very interesting thing. So to, at first, he seemed like, like just looking at him, you're like, oh, he's probably a dom top. But, mm-hmm. but he turned out to be yeah. the submissive person. And, wow. And for me, also part of coming into the leather community, I think what made it, I was in a relationship for 10 years. And I was a bottom, total bottom. Mm-hmm. And my partner was Middle Eastern. And no one knew about him and me. They, I would go to his house all the time. They would think I was his girlfriend's brother, which they never met my sister. So I don't know how they believed that for 10 years. And we broke off. It was really bad breakup. And um, I was talking to this guy online who was a dominant master because I really thought that's what I wanted, a master. <clears throat> we were talking. And I, he, I said to him, no, I told him about the relationship and how bad it was. And I said to him, I don't ever want that to ever happen again to me. And that was before I met the guy. And he said, come to my house. Uh, if you want, I will mentor you for six months. But you have to do everything I tell you. No, no, no is not part of the vocabulary. So he said, come to my house. I said, okay. He said, be here in 20 minutes. And I said, sir, it takes almost a half an hour to get there. And he said, if you're not there in 20 minutes, don't bother coming. I got there in 18 minutes. And for six months, he trained me. He molded me. He did everything possible. He always told me, whatever you do to a bottom, a sub, or a boy, you better know how it felt. So he would do everything for me. He would flog me, he would tie me up, hang, you know, 20 pounds of rocks on my balls. I mean, you name it, he did to me. And at the end of the six months, um, he said to me that night when I was coming over, he said, oh, don't strip. Just come to the back of the room. And all I kept saying was, what the fuck did I do? And I got to the back room and he was in his full leather. And he was sitting on a chair, and there was a boy naked. And he says, I want to see what I taught you. And he trained me. So I did everything he taught me to this boy. Then after I did it all, he told the boy to go home. And he said to me, you, he, and he said, kneel down. And I always knelt down in front of him. He said, and our famous thing is, he would say, as it should be, boy. And I would say, as it should be, sir. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, you did this good. The only thing you didn't do well was tie the rocks on his balls. But he had small balls, so I couldn't really do it. And he said, but you did great. And I, he said, um, so he said, stay there. And he went into his closet. And he came back. 
And he made me turn around and he went, as it should be, sir. And he put my mirror cap on me. Oh, my God. And that's really, that was before the other boy, you know, the boy. But that's how I really got into it. And Dennis just died two years ago. And I found out without knowing it. Because wow. I would always send him a birthday greeting. And you know, I got to respond. And then I finally called his partner's family up, who I knew. And I said, what happened to Dennis and Paul? And they said they both died. No way. But it was funny, you know. It was, he was the one who trained me and he said, never, you know, never let someone do it. My ex did to me. Mm-hmm. And so it was just a trigger off. And then I met the other guy and we were together like for eight years. What's so powerful about that to me is that like you had like an interest and an inclination and like this person, he, you, you like earned your place right. with him. I did. And you know, the thing is, even when I ran for my title, and you have to understand, being a big man and being a, a big man in the leather community was not very acceptable. And when I finally ran for my title, my platform was I was born a bear because I was always been bear, but I, be, I became a leather man. Uh, and I believe it was a tribe of the young generation and the older generation. And my whole concept was I wanted to make the younger generation don't go through what I went through as a young person, hmm. not being accepted because you weight, not being accepted because you maybe not had the perfect level. Mm-hmm. And I think that's my main goal in, in the community is to mentor, to be there for people, listen, you know, even if I don't agree with it, Tell them I don't agree with it, but also listen to them because there's no right or wrong. Because you could be a sub to someone who's a dom and treat you one way, and he could treat another person a totally different way. It's just the way you are and who you are with them. I mean, a lot has changed, I, I would have to say, because I think, I mean, at least from my perspective nowadays, I feel like the leather community is where people of all different shapes and body sizes are mm-hmm. accepted more than, I mean, at least in comparison than in like the general gay right. world or whatever that right. means. I don't know. At least here in LA, from my perspective. Right. Yeah, it has. But you're, but back then it wasn't as much. Oh, back then, if you were a Tom of Finland looking guy, it would be very hard. Yeah. Because they all wanted the Tom of Finland people. You know, you know, skinny splendor, excellent. You can have excellent, excellent leather as a as a big guy, mm-hmm. but you didn't fit that category of a Tom of Finland man. So yeah. Now, I mean, like you, so that your first mirror cap you earned. Right. It was given to you by your master at the time. Your other pieces of leather, did you acquire those on your own, or did you feel like you had to earn every piece? Well, my mom bought me stuff. Um, my husband bought me my leather vest, which means the most to me because we had it made for me as a we, we put a bear paw on the back of it. Oh, a bear paw. Okay. Yeah. So that was something. Um, my first pair of leather pants, my husband gave me, you know, I had another pair, but the pair I loved the most is the one my husband gave me. 
And it was funny, it didn't fit. It was his husband, his spouse, his boyfriend's partner's pants. And he wanted me to have them, but they didn't fit. So I remember going to 665 and Stephanie was there. And I asked Stephanie, I said, well, if you can make these bigger, if not, we'll just get a new pair of pants. And she called me up and said, we can't get rid of your pants. I said, why? And she said, your pants are very old. I said, well, yeah, I know they're old. And she said, no, they're from a famous German tailor. No way. And it was funny. My partner, partner had them for 20 years. His friend gave it to him who had them for 15 years. And the guy who gave it to him had them for 20 years who lived in Germany. So right now my pants are over a hundred and something, over a hundred years old. The thing is, uh, they're all ripped now the butt. And as different people in the community say, we can't fix these. But I still wear them occasionally. That is so amazing to me. And that's what I love about leather. It can like last for generations and pass right. down. And hand-me-down leather is really, I personally believe hand-me-down leather, that you get leather from someone means more than when you buy it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, for instance, um, a leather shirt I got was my husband bought for Christmas. And then when I ran for my title, I went to a certain leather place and asked him to, uh, I know, my slave at that time in Rome. I had a slave in Rome. He came to visit, and no, he knew I was running for leather contests. I won my title with my register, and he wanted to buy me a new one for L.A. Pride for the contest. And we went to this, a certain place, and I asked him to make my shirt, and <laughs> they destroyed my original shirt. Really? Yeah, and they said to me, oh, don't worry. Good news is that your shirt's ready, the one you ordered. Bad news is we destroyed your other shirt, but we'll make you another shirt. And I said, I was wearing this shirt for the contest. So they made me two shirts for the price of one. And, you know, I said, okay. It was not meant for me to keep, but I was upset about it. I'd be too. I mean, like, just like saying, oh, well, we'll make you another shirt. Well, that's like saying we'll give you another baby. Yeah, like, right. no, you no, can't replace. Right. And I wish, I only really wish is that they would have gave me the shirt back even though it was destroyed, you don't iron leather. But they didn't give me the shirt back, so I was like, oh, well. But um, so some of, my, some of my leather, my harness, by the restraints my mom gave me, uh, harness I bought off of eBay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that was my first harness I bought off of eBay, and then I had it didn't fit. <laughs> and I had to go get it made to fit me. So they designed it, used it that one at least. So, I mean, something that I hear all the time from people of the older generations is like, oh, we used to earn all our leather, blah, yeah. blah. And I like, obviously, I like the idea of that, but I'm also not going to wait 20 years to like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. I no, wanted no, a harness, right. I'm going to buy myself a harness. I'm not going to work off of somebody else's time necessarily, unless, right. you know, I were to run into like a master situation, like, you know, right. you had. I mean, what what is your advice to people of my generation jumping into the leather scene for the first yeah, time? Because if you if you really think you want leather, and I 
talk, I've been talking to someone who wants to get more into the leather community. He said, what should I buy? And first thing I said to him, buy what you think is really important to you, what you think will, will look hot on you. Mm-hmm. And you buy it. You know, I would say one pet peeve I have, and I know I, maybe I shouldn't say this, when young people wear mirror caps. Okay. And they don't know what it really means. And they buy it because they think it looks good. And I, I don't believe in the old rule that only sirs should wear mirror caps. I don't believe in that. Because I had a slave in Rome who I bought a mirror cap for him because I thought he, he looked great in mine. Mm-hmm. And I said, you should go be said, well, I'm not a sir. And I said, well, but it doesn't mean that. That fits the image of Tom of Finland, my famous line. Uh-huh. So, you know, um, I say buy what you think you want. I personally believe a harness is good. And I I believe, you know, pants, a vest, especially a vest because you could wear it in the straight world. Yeah. A leather vest with a nice shirt and all that. I mean, I went to my job occasionally with my vest on, a plain black vest with a long sleeve white button down shirt and black pants, you know, for Christmas Eve mass at one time. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you can wear a leather jacket. You can even right. wear leather pants out in yeah, the day. No. And yeah. You know, so yeah, you buy what you think you want. And I'm be very cautious, you know. I I don't want to. Um, I'm working with a guy who sells leather. Okay. And actually, he's made my leather now for the last four years, three years. Okay. Because I found if I had to go buy a pair of pants or a shirt in a leather shop locally, I would be paying seven hundred for the pants, six hundred for the shirt. I can't afford that anymore. Right. But this gentleman I work with, he's from Pakistan. And when I first, he knew I was Mr. Leather Bear. And he came on one day to me on Facebook and said, you know, I sell leather and, you know, I would love to make you a pair of leather pants. And I'm like, oh, yeah. I said, it's kind of, you know, I said, it's kind of hard for me to get leather pants because I'm a big man. He went, oh, no, no, you just give me your size. He says, and I charge you $200. Wow. And I said to my husband, I said, I'm going to buy them. And he says, yeah, what the hell? He said, you spend 200 anyhow. Yeah. So if you don't get it, you it's Big a deal. talk up to reality. You yeah. just didn't get it. So I ordered them. I sent them the money. In less than five days, I had a pair of leather pants that fit me like a charm. No way. And you've seen those pants on me. Yeah. So then I bought my my green leather shirt because once again, he did a great job. And uh-huh. then I bought a, a red and black shirt from him. And then after a while, I started recommending prints to him. So now I'm his Los Angeles base or United States base. The okay. people who want to buy stuff, I tell them, you know, go to Facebook, introduce yourself, tell them that I send you. He'll you know, t- show them a picture of what you want. He'll make it for you to the size. You interlock money with me and I send it to him, you know, and if you get it and you don't like it, he'll redo it. Yeah. 
Wow, that's awesome. And you know, so for a big man, I tell a lot of my big friends, <laughs> you know, you know, if you don't want to spend a thousand dollars on a leather shop, yeah. And you know, trust me, I've had leather made in different shops in LA. You know them. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, you know, say names and all that. And the work is not so great. And sometimes you wait longer than you. For my title vest, I got it a week before the LA leather contest. Hmm. And I my contest was in January, so I waited two months for it. Yeah. And that's not acceptable. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm sure I, I know there's been like a few leather shops here in LA. I, I'm I have a connection to Mr. S because that's where I got my first piece of leather. Right. Um, but Mr. S has always been like, I think they're like a they work like a well-oiled machine because that's yeah. their thing. Right. Um, but, yeah, I I actually wore pants from France for the Mr. Bullet leather competition from a friend of mine who is not really, like, he's more into the kink world than he is leather, but he was right. like, oh, I'm in France. I'm going to buy these pants. And they right, fit right. me perfectly. Mm-hmm. I'm, there's no other pants that, like, I've gotten off the rack that fit me. And even the pants that I own now, I had to get tailored to fit me. Um, because well, I was going to say it should be a lot easier for you to get pants because they, you can buy them off the rack. Well, they I can't because I have childbearing hips. So, like you, <laughs> you would think like <laughs> <laughs> that's why you always fucking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've tried every size off the rack and none of them work. So I have to buy like a slight size bigger than I would normally wear jeans, and then mm. have like it tailored so it actually fits me. Like, I can pull them on. You can try my friend. He shows you everything you need to measure. Okay. Okay. Well, we'll have to put a plug for that in the, oh, in the Chris, podcast. I think Scott sent the title class information on it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, yeah. let's talk a little bit about your, your title. So the first title you ran for was which title? Back in 2015? Los Angeles Okay. I was 56 years old. I just... We taught, well, it was just plus out of my job after 32 years. And I was kind of depressed. And I um, I met Scott. And um, I was telling him, oh, man, they were having Mr. Leather Bear contest in um Pistons at the time. And I said, oh, man, I should run for that. I said, oh, no, nah, I'm not going to be able to win. I'm, I'm too old and too fat. <laughs> and he, you know, I talked to my husband and he said, go for it if you want. You know, if you want, you know, you're not working anymore. You don't have to worry about the school or the church. And I said, okay. So I remember telling Scott, and Scott said, oh, good, I'll help you. We'll get all your stuff and everything. And he cleaned all my leather, and it was just like, okay. you know. And <laughs> I kept saying, I'm not going to win. I'm not going to win. There was five contestants, and, you know, two of them were really good-looking and sexual. And I'm like, okay, fuck it. I'll do it. And I went and competed. My husband came to the contest, and um, 
I remember Scott had two of his straight friends come to the contest. <laughs> it was kind of funny. And um, <laughs> I went on stage. And at the end of the contest, well, I, well, the joke is, you know, during interview, you have to shake the hands of people. Uh-huh. And I shook the hands and I knocked down three of the lights that was on the table. <laughs> And then I I did the interview and then you know at the end of the interview you're gonna shake your hands again uh-huh. and they all held the lights so I went <laughs> oh shit here he comes <laughs> <laughs> and then on stage I remember giving my speech and I talked about merging the younger generation and the older generation and to have their lives easier than what we did you know we had the age we had all that stuff. We we got all that stuff in the beginning, and um, I remember I said I'd be proud and honor to be Mister L.A. Leather Bear 2010. Oh fuck, 15, and everyone <laughs> started laughing. Wait, did you honestly make that mistake, or was that part of the? No, I honestly made that mistake, <laughs> and then <laughs> and I'm like, oh, and then for my fantasy. You know, I'm not. Oh well. First of all, I did not wear a jock strap. Oh really? What did you wear? I wore neoprene leather shorts. Okay. And the sisters were there, and I remember telling my mentor um, about this, <clears throat> and he made a statement: "A search should not show his ass on stage." Oh. So when one of the sisters said, "Well, I don't see you in jock strap," and I said. Well, you know, I'm a sir, and my ass should not be shown on stage. But if you want to see my ass, you could go in the back and you could see my ass. <laughs> so things like that. And so it was funny. After the speeches, there was a break. And the owner of the bar, which I was really friends with, he was the tally master. And he wouldn't look at me. Huh. And I'm like, kind of weird and you know then finally he said well good luck you know and i said okay yeah right i said i'm not gonna worry about it i'm not gonna win and when they called my name and they said i won i was in a state of shock yeah but the judges all stood up because they were so happy and then i found out after i you know all the pictures and all that shit i won before i gave my speech no way i had enough points no one could have caught up to me. Wow. Now, why do you think that, I mean, did they tell you, like, some of the reasons why they thought that you were the best candidate for that title? Because I was honest, sincere. My public speaking, I, you know, oh, my, oh, my, um, because I thought about things, you know, about not wearing the neoprene and not mm-hmm. wearing the jockstrap. And my fantasy, I wanted to have Sean Connery, my bitch. <laughs> okay. So for those who don't know, for those who don't know Sean Connery, he's 007, James Bond, uh-huh. one of the original ones. And I wanted him to be my bitch. So we blew up. We blew up a six-foot image of Sean Connery. My husband and Scott cut out the image. They cut out by the knee that he was able to bend down. So I walk on stage and I go, 
the, the, the reading my thing, I see him on the corner. He looks so good. I keep thinking what would it be like to have him as my boy. <laughs> I order him a drink, and then they brought up a, a martini glass. <laughs> I look at him. I tell him to come here, and sister brings him to me. I grab him, and I say, Neil, boy. And I put a collar with a leash on him. Uh-huh. And I said, stay tuned for 007. <laughs> You know, so the other ones, it, oh, I'm going to, you know, uh, beat the person, all this. But I acted it out. Yeah. And, you know, at the end, I asked a couple of the judges, why did I win? And they once said, you, stage presence was great. You knew what you wanted. You knew what you're doing. And you were honest. You didn't lie. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and then I made it my point for that year. I raised 69000 Jesus. I judged. I did 62 events. No. Anyway, there are 62 weeks in a year. Mm-hmm. I did 69 events in, in a year. I did events all over California. Palm Springs, San Diego, San Francisco, L.A. And I just worked my butt off and because wow. I was retired. I had no problem. And right. I traveled and I made it my point. And I've judged over about 25, 30 judge contests. And not just in California, all in other areas. So, you know, I made it my point. If I saw someone young who wanted a mentor, and want, or just wanted to talk about things. I mean, I sometimes go up to the bullet bar and see someone who doesn't seem right, and I go, hey, what's up? Mm-hmm. No, they might get scared in the beginning because they think I want to collar them and make them my boy. But you know, I'll just listen to people. And What's been like a highlight or one of your favorite things since, as, as a title holder? Well, I won't, serve the, I won't tell you the person's name. Okay. But, I was in Palm Springs doing an event, and I have a pet peeve. Okay. I hate people who wear harnesses over their shirt. Really? Well, yeah. so maybe they don't want to take their shirt off. Maybe it's cold. <laughs> and that's different. Okay. But in Palm Springs, you don't use that excuse. Oh, that's true. That's true. And Palm Springs. I had my harness on. I had my leather shirt because I was informal. And I saw this guy who was a large guy, uh-huh. very large. And he was with a friend who came out for my event. And I remember saying to him, we were talking, I said, why do you have your vest, your harness on, your sh- on, the meat, on top of your shirt? And he went, oh, I don't, you know, I don't think I look good. Aww. So I walked away and I said, Scott, hold my vest. I took my shirt off and I put my harness was on and I went to him. I said, am I skinny? He went, no, he didn't want to tell me no. (laughs) And I turned around and he took his harness off and took his shirt off and put the harness on. So I think that was one of the things. And he's a title holder. 
Mm-hmm. And he told them that on the contest when he was running. That and I was a judge actually. That you know, the first time I he was in the leather thing, he was ashamed of his body. And when he saw me take my shirt off and wore my harness, he figured that was okay to do. So I think that might be one of the things I thought about the leather. Sir, Sir Frank, you're making me want to cry. <laughs> that is awesome. And you know him too, but I'm not saying. Well, we won't say it here, yeah. but, but um, that is amazing. I mean, that's what you had set out to do in the first place. I right. remember you were describing your platform earlier about, being the bigger guy and and not being that Tom of Finland person. And, you know, just that if all else failed, like that one encounter yeah. could have just been totally worth it. You know, oh, yeah. that's amazing. Well, so Frank, we are running a little short on time. I do want to have a second recording with you because I know we have so much more to talk about, but before we go, um, how can we reach out and how can we stay connected with you? I'm on Facebook as Sir Frank Cavallo. I think it is. Um, on all social media, Brawler, um, Instagram. I know it's. I think it's Frank Cavall. I never. I don't know how to use Instagram. <laughs> I'm old. We'll link it. We'll link it. <laughs> I wish someone could sit down and teach me how to do Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. Facebook. Um. Different. Uh. Social media is on. I'm on Recon, which is a leather one. I'm on Hot Cigar Man because I'm a cigar man fetishmen so yeah i'm all over awesome awesome do you have any last words for our audience maybe people in the newer generation maybe going to run for a title this year yeah well two things first thing is be who you are and be happy with it second thing if you ever see me and you want a question please feel free Maybe I'll make you buy me a drink. But we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> uh, and you don't have to be a hot big bear either. <laughs> um, but, you know, reach out. If you have, you know, especially during COVID and being locked down and being emotionally down, this is the best time for you to reach out and find out who you are. Hmm. You know, there's so many different leather title holders who are willing to help. I mean, what you're doing, branding with the podcast is great. Uh, I have to be honest, I've never listened to one of yours because I don't know how to find them. Oh, God. I'm being honest. <laughs> oh, I have to send it to your landline phone. Yeah. <laughs> landline. I, I still have one. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Showing it to me. <laughs> you know, everyone tells me, why do you have a landline and cell phone? Because I'm old. <laughs> Well, I want to thank you again, Sir Frank, for coming on the show. We're definitely going to be recording a part two soon. As always, you guys, you can follow me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Branded Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky. Bye.